Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. All right, so we have walked through Isaiah 40 through 42 and are have, have been exploring um, God's love for the nations and his desire to draw the nations in and lead them to worship. And in the last chapter, we saw the role of this servant to bring justice to the nations, opening up that praise. Um, But the chapter ended with the current reality of Israel, the, those who were supposed to be light to the nations, uh, bringing people out of the blind people to sight, they're blind themselves. The nations themselves in their idolatry are, are blind. Um, and yet we noted this, but now in chapter 43, which hints and points towards some resolution. And I know you love the, the from, from a, um, you know, if this were Beethoven, but now, you know, but now, absolutely. So, so you feel, you feel that movement deep in your bones um help I us think this is kind of like the fourth movement of the ninth now that you say it yeah i had thought yeah. about that but it is it's kind of like the bum yeah it is yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead so so well as you can say so so help us help us understand this resolution right you, yeah. you've done a great job over the last couple episodes of of helping us understand the plot dynamics help us see how 43 through 44 step into that that story and that that tension sure yeah i really appreciate what you just said mike because you know not only is this a poem but this is a narrative and mm-hmm. we need to appreciate the narrative. Now, whereas we are used to in Western traditions a very linear type mm. rhetoric, yeah, um, and even narrative, ancient Near Eastern poetry, Isaiah is an exemplar of this, is a bit more circuitous. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, it's a bit yeah. circular, where like he'll say something one way and then take it off for a little while, then come back and then maybe mm-hmm. retouch it, et cetera. And that's what he's doing really here in Isaiah 43 through 44. I think what Isaiah 43 and 44 is centrally about is God's redemption and reaffirmation of Israel. Yeah. So let me repeat that because I think this is the key, the key theme here. Isaiah 43 and 44 are all about God's redemption and reaffirmation of Israel. Or, y'all know I love alliteration, you could also say that this is about the cleansing and renewed covenant with Israel. So this is why this is important. Whenever we finish Isaiah 42, as you said, there is this question of, well, what is God going to do for the nations? What Isaiah 43 and 44 are going to promise is, such as God does for Israel, so he will do for the nations. Mm-hmm. Again, such as God does for Israel, so he will do for the nations. Now, obviously, there is so much text that we cannot work through every verse. So I want to just make some highlights of what's going on here. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what Adonai says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I am calling you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flame will not burn you. So, Mike, any events in the Old Testament where God has not allowed the water to overwhelm Israel? (laughs) 
Yeah, it certainly it certainly recalls a, a few key stories, huh? Doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe like Red Sea type stuff, and we've already mm-hmm. seen this at work. You know, Isaiah forty one began discussion of a new Exodus, and even yeah. over in Isaiah forty three verse sixteen. Here yeah. is what Adonai says, who made a way in the sea, a path through the raging waves, who led out chariot and horse, the army in its strength. It's a new exodus. It's a new mm-hmm. exodus. So again, let's get context here. Isaiah 40 through 55 is addressed to Israel in Babylonian captivity. God is promising, I'm not leaving you there. Mm-hmm. I'm not leaving you there. I'm going to lead you out. And this leading out from captivity is much as like the Exodus. Now God is going to do out of Babylonian captivity. The fire will not overwhelm them. I cannot but help but think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I pray that verse was on their lips um, Mm because Isaiah, of course, spoke before them whenever they were in the fiery furnace. But God loves Israel. And this is what really... The main text of Isaiah 43 is about is God's covenant love, his yeah. said love for Israel. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 43, verse 4, God says to Israel, because I regard you as valued and honored, yeah, and because I love you, yeah. for you I will give people nations in exchange for your life. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the West. Again, God loves his people, and he's going to redeem them. Mm-hmm. And in this verse, it may seem at first that you know God is dismissing the nations in exchange for Israel, but that's not at all what's going on here. Yeah. Rather, what God is doing is demonstrating his covenant love through one people mm-hmm. so that that can be a model of what he is going to do for all people. Yeah. God yeah. is going to redeem his people. He is going to bring back Israel so that all peoples can one day be redeemed. Another way that's read is that God is, um, I forget how you just said it, but um, rejecting Israel for the nations, right? Uh, you said he's not rejecting the nations for Israel, but some some would also read that as he's sort of jettisoning Israel for the nations now, giving abandoning Israel for the nations. Superceptionism. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that's not what's happening either, right? He loves them. He values and honors them. and And so... This work that he's accomplished is not despite Israel, but for them and even through them, elevating them, empowering them to fulfill that calling from the beginning, even though they had failed it miserably in their idolatry and injustice that led them into exile. Yet God loves them and values them and is not just bringing them out of exile, but bringing them to become who they were always intended to be. Very well said. Very well said. We have to we have to keep this Israel and the nations continually in mind here. And yeah. it does. I mean, uh, Richard Hayes has, has an incredible article where he demonstrates that Paul mainly uses Isaiah to demonstrate his Gentile mission. Mm. And it's by no means rejecting Romans 9 through 11, his people, sure, but yeah. it's a reaffirmation. Yeah, it's a reaffirmation absolutely. and an invitation for all people to be a part of that covenant community. Yeah, well, absolutely. as the plot continues on into verses eight and nine, bring forward the people who are blind but have eyes, all the deaf who have ears. All the nations are gathered together. All the peoples are assembled. Who among them can proclaim this and reveal what has happened in the past? Let them bring their witnesses to justify themselves so that others on hearing can say that's true. In short, this is now bringing back to the forefront 
So like if we're at a play, this is where like we have a scene change yeah. and we're coming back to the courtroom. Yeah. This yeah. is the courtroom that was introduced in Isaiah 41, came back in Isaiah 42. Now it's coming back to central stage in Isaiah 43, where the nations are being called together. And it's the question, who is the real God here? Um, it's it's not the idols. The idols have been shown to be dumb and stupid. Mm-hmm. But rather, bring forth your witnesses now. Well, God then has a surprise. Verse 10. You are my witnesses, says Adonai, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you can know and trust me and understand that I am he. No God was produced before me, nor will any be after me. I, yes, I am Adonai besides me. There is no deliverer. I have declared, saved, and proclaimed, not some alien God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says Adonai, I am God. Now, the servant which means the representative ruler of Israel mm-hmm. is the witness. Mm. The nations have no witnesses. Their gods can't speak. Their gods can't breathe. But there is a servant who is coming who will be a witness to the nation. This is, reminds me of our brother Eric. It's like he had a class on this in Isaiah 6, that we are called to be witnesses. And now, Israel is explicitly called the witness to God. Well, what he's then essentially going to do in the rest of chapter 43 is remind Israel of the power of God in the Exodus and his power that he will then demonstrate through Israel, through the servant to the nations. Verse 16, here is what Adonai says, who made a way in the sea, a path through the raging waves who let out chariot and horse, the army in its strength. They lay down, never to rise again, snuffed out and quenched like a wick. Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I am doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I am making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. Now, this is the road that was introduced back in Isaiah 40. Right, yeah. But now... There's a return that is coming. God is going to bring his people back. And God's redemption of the servant is going to be the witness to the nation. Now, let me say this again. The redemption of the servant is going to be the witness to the nations. Hmm. As Christians, should that sound familiar to us at all? Yeah, it's kind of our our thing, right? It's kind of a story. <laughs> it's kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Isaiah is preaching the gospel here. Yeah. Remind me, verse 26, when we were in court together, tell your side, make the case that you're right. Your first father sinned. Your spokesman rebelled against me. I, I, I see that as in reference to Adam recapitulation. Therefore, mm-hmm. I repudiate the officials of the sanctuary, delivered Jacob to the curse of destruction, and subjected Israel to scorn. God is a realist about Israel's state. Yeah. The servant, I'm going to be strategically ambiguous here. The servant was handed over to the curse, was handed over to the captivity, but God's redemption of the servant. This new exodus is then going to be a witness to the nation. Yeah. 
All right. Now I'm ready to go to chapter 44 and talk about spirit. What else do you want to yeah. talk about in chapter 44? No, I, I was, I, I am like chomping at the bit to go to 44, one through five. Well, so, yeah. yeah. Verse three. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Ruach on your descendants, my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows on the riverbanks. One will say, I belong to Adonai. Another will be called by the name of Jacob. Who is promised here? Who is promised here, Mike? Yeah, God's spirit. Yeah. So now not only is the servant going to be the witness to the nations to bring the glory of God to the whole ends of the earth so that the creation itself can be renewed, but now God is going to pour forth his spirit on the descendants of Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, before this, in the history of Israel, the spirit was trickled. The mm -hmm. spirit is trickled upon Moses. The spirit is trickled upon Aaron. The spirit is trickled on some of the judges, trickled upon Samuel, trickled upon David. But now all of the descendants of this servant will have the spirit poured upon them. And their dry ground will be made into a fruitful field. Oh, I never get tired of talking about this text. Yeah. Um, and, and let me just interject because sometimes I, I, I teaching this in another context, pe people hear the word pour and think about discussions about baptism and sprinkling or immersion or pouring and things like that. Understand pouring is not like that here. Pouring has to, it, it, we would say downpour, right? This yes. is, this is a torrential downpour of rain coming from the heavens. And that, and that's picked up with your trickle contrast, right? It's not just sprinkling a little, it's, it's not just a little trickle of rain, but we have a torrential downpour from heaven transforming the desolate landscape. Well said. Yeah, well said, right? And this, this, this pouring out of the spirit should be familiar to a great many who've studied with me, that if you pour out something enough, what eventually does it do? It immerses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, 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 some theologians try to separate baptism of the spirit from the pouring out of the spirit. I find that completely unsubstantiated. Sure. Yeah. Because if the spirit has been poured out fully upon the people of God and ultimately then yeah. upon creation, well, then of course, creation itself will be immersed in the spirit. Yeah. It's baptism yeah. of the spirit. Well, and, well, and it's also it's it's please. also missing the way the images are just meant to roll. We're taking images, flattening them to make bullet points essentially and it's like missing the way these images are meant to flow no, i'm a literalist literalist we read everything literally <laughs> unless the context absolutely totally demands you to take it figurative all right so please well, all know that sarcasm for those that don't know me that well okay um well then we get into six through eight and we are again brought to this context of yahweh versus the idols mm -hmm. idols can't see Idols cannot foretell future events. There is no other rock. I know of one. Well, the majority of the rest of chapter 44 then is going to be an additional taunt against the idols. I got this from N.T. Wright, and I absolutely adore this. In Isaiah 44, verse 18, such people know nothing, understand nothing, 
Their eyes are sealed shut. They can't see. Their hearts too, so they can't understand. Not one should think to himself or has knowledge or the discernment to say, I burned half of it in the fire, baked bread on its coals, roasted meat on it, and ate. Should I know... Should I now make the rest an abomination? Should I prostrate myself to a tree trunk? He is relying on ashes. A deceived heart has led him astray so that now he won't save himself. Just say, this thing in my hand is a fraud. N.T. Wright said, idolaters are not too sophisticated for God. They're too superficial. Hmm. And I think that's the problem here. Idolaters, even after their idols have been shown as powerless, refuse to let their hearts be open to the Spirit of God. And because they do not allow the depths of their heart to be open to the Spirit of God, they are then just retreating to the idols, just retreating to the idols. The idols may warm them, the idols may give them false comfort, but it's utterly superficial what they are doing. And I think there's a great apologetic warning in that for us. So. Then as we close out the rest of the chapter, it is going to be a reaffirmation of Israel. Verse 21, keep these matters in mind, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I formed you. You are my own servant. Israel, don't forget. Like a thick cloud, I wiped away your offenses. Like a cloud, your sins come back to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing you heavens, for Adonai has done it. Shout, you depths of the earth, Freuda, Freuda, we may sing, right? <laughs> um, th- this, I think, is the pinnacle of what Isaiah is wanting Israel to see. God has restored the servant. God has worked a new exodus. God has kept his word. God has been faithful. The idols have been shown as powerless. Because God has redeemed the, the the servant, the servant may now be a witness to the nations. All people may be cleansed. Creation itself may be renewed, and God's word will not fail. Yeah, that's what Isaiah forty four is about. Mike, yeah. other thoughts from Isaiah forty four? Uh, I'm just just soaking in it for for a minute, but no, that's that's so good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I guess my, my thought was, and, and how important it is for them to hear this because it was their own um, struggles and challenges going into idolatry. Uh, even, even trusting in the nations is another way of, of saying trusting in other nations, gods, right? You know, you're trusting in their military might, but in their world, it was the gods of these other nations that were empowering these other nations. Right. Yes, so, well said. so, so, um, you know, they need to hear this and they need to see the the foolishness of it, right? And and have it broken down in such a deliberately sarcastic way it, to to expose how foolish it is to put your trust in these things, right? Well said. And even the even the image of of all right, they they plant this tree and they wait for it to grow and then they cut it down and half of it they they use to to keep themselves warm and bake bread and then the other half they fashion into a god and bow down and never crosses their minds that oh this is just a piece of wood you know um anyway um and yet as you pointed out god is doing all this work to lead them from that to this renewed being um and it's it's beautiful 
Yeah. And that's what's going to lead us into chapter 45 next next time is, okay, God has cleansed his people. He's renewed the covenant. God has redeemed them. God has reconciled Israel. Israel, the servant, um, is ready to be the witness. Mm-hmm. But now what is God going to do with the nations? That tension still hasn't been resolved yet. Yeah, It's still being addressed and it's coming to a resolution, but we're still going to have to be a bit more patient as we continue yeah. that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe, and click the bell to get notified when we drop a new episode. Until next time, and for all time, your God reigns. Mm-hmm.